0: If you have your Bibles today, I wanna ask you to take them and open them with me to 1 John chapter three for this morning's message and for our time together here today. 1 John chapter three. If you've been here in recent months, you know we've been going verse by verse through the book of 1 John with a study entitled, More Than a Name. More Than a Name. It is very common in our community and even throughout our culture today, if you were to ask someone, are you a Christian? There are some who might laugh at you. There are some who might just outright reject you and start you know, kind of picking at you a little bit or even rebuking you, but there are many, especially in our community, who would say, absolutely, I am a Christian. But if you were to go on further to ask them, well, tell me, when did you become a follower of Christ? When did you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? At that question, there will be a lot of hemming and hawing and even silence because many who claim to be Christians have never had that experience. Many who claim to be Christians do so because of the home in which they grew up. They grew up in a a Bible Belt society. Their grandmother was a prayer warrior. Their grandfather was a deacon. And they grew up with this uh, conservative mentality, this family mentality. We want to to help our neighbor mentality. But having a help your neighbor mentality is not the same as being a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian does not mean that we are perfect, but it does mean that we have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It means literally that we belong to Jesus. We're in relationship with him. In fact, in 1 John, the Bible tells us that God speaks through John. He gives us this entire letter for one primary purpose. And here it is in 1 John 5 verse, 5, verse 13. It says this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Somebody say the word know. God says, listen, I'm giving you this so that you can know absolutely actual, factual absolute truth that you have eternal life as sure as you are that you are sitting in that seat this morning as sure as you are that you're watching on the live stream or you're watching from home or right here in the worship center crossing you can know right now in 2021 your sins are forgiven heaven is your home and that you are in a relationship with God think of that for just a moment Don't rush past that truth so quickly that you fail to realize the greatness of that statement. You can know that you are saved. This past week, I was in Richmond, Virginia for a few days. And a part part of that time together, I was meeting with a group of pastors and we were talking about several things in the context of ministry, but the opening discussion was about ministry fatigue and, and what people are doing to overcome it. And so the question was asked of this group of pastors, what is it over the past year that has caused the most fatigue in ministry? And and without a doubt, the very first question, the very first answer that came up was this, the constant moving of the goalpost has been exhausting. And and what the pastors were saying was simply this, the constant influx of information, we're hearing this and we're hearing that, we're hearing this and we're hearing that. Think, Think for just a moment about the pandemic itself. When we began to hear about the the COVID virus, we were first being told that this thing is transmissible by surfaces. So wipe down everything, right? And so so everybody, we, we invested in all these antibacterial wipes and we got all this cool equipment and different things to clean off everything. But then we were told, actually, no, it's more of an airborne thing. We were told you need, once you go to Walmart and get your groceries, you need to go home and wash them all down. I watched a seven minute video of how to wash your groceries, Seven minutes of my life, I will never get back. Y'all pray for me, okay, I need counseling. But anyway, I'll be mean like, you gotta wash your groceries, folks. And then we're told, actually, no, it's not that big of a deal, you know. It's, yeah, not that big of a deal. We were told early on, hey, there's this, this mask mandate. You gotta wear a mask. Here's all the health benefits for it. So you absolutely, absolutely factual, actual, you gotta do this. At the same time, it seems like the same time we were told that there were numerous studies that came out that said, actually, there are some hazardous things to your health if you wear the mask all the time. You can't make this stuff up. Yesterday, my son and I, one of my sons and I, we were working in the yard and we had some chemicals. And so I gave him a thicker mask. And I want you to wear this mask while we're working with these chemicals. He said, okay. And so he pulled it out of the package and he read it. And literally, and the inside was a label that said, wearing this too long could cause death. He was like, dad, is this true? And I was like, eh, it's just a label. Just put it on, you know, like you're fine. We've only got about 20 minutes. It's not that big of a deal, Right? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that if there's anything we've learned in the context of this past year, it's it's this, that the experts who know everything (laughs) don't know as much as they think they do. Even in our own lives, like we experience that reality, we experience life with someone. They're they're our friend. They're maybe our spouse. They're our close relative. We we do life with them. We love them. We care for them. We experience life situations, and we we, we might go decades with them, and then all of a sudden something happens, and something takes place, and we look and we think, how could they have done that? I mean, I mean, do I even know this person? Because the person I know would have never, they would have never even thought about it, much less acted on it, they had been acting on it for so long. The fact of the matter is there are situations and things in our life that cause us to realize we don't know what we think we know. Now, now to be honest with you, when I was like 13 to 15 years old, like that was probably like the, bless, the, the most incredible season of my life. Because when I was between 13 and 15, I thought I knew everything. I did. But you know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know as much as I think I know. But God says, I got something that you can know. As sure as you are that you're living and breathing in this moment, you can know your sins are forgiven. You can know that God is your father. You can know that heaven is your home. You can know that this temporary world's not home. You're just passing on through. How do you know that? The Bible tells us we can know this through the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So here's the simple question I want to ask for all of you here today. That is this. Do you know without a doubt without any uncertainty that your sins have been forgiven? That your soul has been saved and that heaven is your home? Do you know 1 John chapter, five, uh, chapter three, I'm sorry. Would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin in the final two verses of 1 John chapter three and then go down in the 1 John chapter four. For our- We know by the Holy Spirit of God in us. The Bible says this. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. That's what we talked about last week. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Now listen to this statement. We know, somebody say no, we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. Now listen to this change of direction, verse chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know The Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, at which you've heard that it is coming, and now it's already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time that we have together today. God, would you, through the Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and lives, Father, we've already sang it. Lord, Holy Spirit, come and be welcomed here. I pray that you would come and be welcome to speak to our hearts and lives and where change is needed, would you bring it for the name and the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning, walking in the spirit. This past week, as I mentioned, I was out of town in Richmond for a few days, and it was my first time uh, being out of town overnight in a hotel for a long period of time. In fact, just haven't traveled a whole lot uh, since COVID hit. Prior to COVID hit, um, the Lord had allowed me to travel on many occasions throughout the year because of some ministry responsibilities and opportunities that God has given me. The Lord allows me to serve in a leadership team for the state of Virginia, but also to serve on a leadership team for a seminary in Texas. And so with that, it means that I travel at least a few times a year and stay two to three days in those locations where I'm ministering with other pastors in the state and then throughout the country in the Texas opportunity. One of the things about traveling that I have enjoyed through the years is the way that my daughters, my, my girls have blessed me. Now, when I travel, almost always in those situations, I travel alone. There've been a time or two that my wife has been able to travel with me or one of my sons has traveled with me. But when I leave, inevitably, when I get to the hotel, I always look forward with anticipation to opening my suitcase. And the reason why is because ever since my girls were little, they have found a way to surprise me while I was gone. And so I will get to the hotel, I will open my bag, and inevitably, there is either a note, there is a piece of candy, there is some sort of trinket or somehow one time Lane even got in an entire stuffed animal in my suitcase. I have no idea how she did it. And, and the reason why I open it up and I'll set it out, whatever it is. And it's a reminder to me that, that, that my family's back home. It's a reminder to me that I might be far from them, but I'm in my girl's heart. They're thinking of me and, and I long to get back to them. And they also know that I'm going to bring in toys when I come back. But the bottom line is this, that While we're separated, it's a reminder of their presence in my life. And it's a joyful and wonderful thing. In the same way, God is looking at us through his word today and reminding us that we are not alone. God has not abandoned us. Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he looked at his disciples in John chapter 14 and he wanted them to know something very directly. Here's what he said. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. And then in John chapter 16, verse seven, Jesus said something amazing. Here's what he said. He said, I tell you the truth. It is actually to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Could you imagine hearing that as a disciple of Jesus? Hey guys, I'm leaving you, but actually I'm not going to leave you alone. It's even better for you that I go because the father is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he is gonna teach you. He is gonna lead you. He is gonna show you all the things that you need to know. Acts chapter one, verse eight, we understand that Jesus, of course, left that conversation with the disciples. He eventually died on the cross for the sins of the world. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. Over a 40-day period, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. And there he is on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter one, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he looks at them and he says, listen, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be witnesses of me in the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The very next chapter, Acts chapter 2, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit moves. Peter stands to preach. Literally thousands, 3,000 people that day, they, they repent of their sins. They believe in Jesus. They're baptized that very day. And the rest of the New Testament records the Holy Spirit's working and moving in the life of those who are believers. Today, we pick up that story and we begin to understand, or at least examine, What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How do we know we have the Holy Spirit in our life? What does he confirm in our life? And what does that look like? Four things I want you to see from 1 John chapter three and chapter four. Number one, I want you to see the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in verse 24, we know by this that Jesus abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Immediately we hear that word, once again, the word abide. That word abide is a word of close connection. It's a, close, it's a picture of close, if you will, intimate relationship. Jesus in John chapter 15 gave us the illustration of the close connection between the branches and the vine. They're so interwoven. They're so connected, if you will. They're so intimate in that context. You can't tell where one ends and the other, where one ends and begins, where the other is connected. They're so closely related. The picture here is what God is saying is, listen, Jesus is living in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says it this way. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Well, who's the we talking about? It's referring to those who have believed in Jesus and confessed him to be the Lord of their life. As we're gonna see here in just a moment, the Holy Spirit was not automatic. You weren't born to your mama and daddy and all of a sudden you had the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit of God when we are born again. So notice three things the Holy Spirit does in our life. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. How do we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life? We begin to first understand the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. John chapter 16, verses eight through 11 says it this way. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me, Jesus says. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you no longer see me, but concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who exposes the sinful things in the world and the sinful things in our life. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us that we are unrighteous and we need the righteousness of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us that standing before God in our guilty condemned state means that we will be eternally judged. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Much of what happens in our day-to-day and certainly within popular psychology is meant to excuse, condone, and even explain away what God calls sin. Much of what happens in the world today, oh, you know, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal. You can do whatever you want to. If you feel that way, then it's good for you. Much of what happens in our culture today, oh, well, yeah, you know, that wasn't a good decision, but that, if, if so-and-so hadn't done this, you wouldn't have done this. We try to excuse it. Or explain it away. Well, you know, you 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 experienced this growing up, and so you were pre you had this pre exposure to these things, and so therefore you chose this route. But the reality is, the Bible tells us. That the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. In our world today, frankly, we don't want to experience guilt. We don't want to experience shame. We don't want to experience sorrow. We don't want to experience conviction. And so the end result of that, instead of surrendering ourselves to God, we raise and exalt man and say, listen, you, your own God, you can do whatever you want to do. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. I'm thankful that when I have an impure thought, the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. I'm thankful when I'm tempted to go a wrong direction, the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. I'm thankful when I'm tempted to do something that would bring shame in my life, the Holy Spirit reminds me where God brought me from. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we might recognize our need for Savior and turn from our sin. Fact of the matter is, today, even as a preacher of the gospel, I could stand before you today, and I could say, hey, listen, here's a fact. Here's the black and white evidence. I could list to you a whole list of arguments, and I could give you a formal discourse. But I cannot bring conviction to your soul. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. Someone might leave on a Sunday and say, man, pastor, when you said this, you convicted me. Time out. No, I didn't. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God. So if it comes across good and it ministers to you and steps on your toes and draws you closer to the Lord, to praise be to God, it's the Holy Spirit working and moving. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that conviction should lead us to a godly sorrow. What does godly sorrow look like? Godly sorrow leads us to Repentance where we turn from our sin and turn to the Lord. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Number number two, the Holy Spirit changes us. And the Holy Spirit changes us in our life. When we repent of our sins and confess Christ as Lord, we're saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all baptized of one spirit. Please notice, God did not say, some of you are baptized and some of you aren't. Well, this group in the church is, and this group in the church isn't. No, no, no. All who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. Being a Christian does not mean that we are perfect, but it does mean because of our relationship with Christ, we are forgiven. And today, we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about this change. I love how Titus chapter 3 describes this. Listen to these words. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. In other words, we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by who? The Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When you and I believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we confess Christ to be the Lord. The Bible says we're forgiven and we're cleansed. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God begins to indwell us. And the evidence of that is this. He begins to change us. He begins to change our want-tos. He begins to change the things that we go to. He begins to change us from the inside out. We still have an old nature, the flesh that we wrestle with, but we now have the Holy Spirit within us to guide us and to lead us and to shape us into the very likeness of Christ. Go read Romans chapter eight and learn all about it. The bottom line is this. When you and I have the Holy Spirit of God in our life, it brings about such a change in our life that instead of living for ourselves, we begin to live for the Lord, to seek and to honor and glorify him. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter six, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Does not mean you're going to do it perfectly. But if you're walking with Jesus and you're experiencing the change of the Holy Spirit, you're going to live your life continually mindful of the fact that your body belongs to the Lord, you wanna glorify him with it. The third thing the Holy Spirit does as we think about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is that the Holy Spirit confirms our relationship. Notice what he says here in our text. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. God gives us his Holy Spirit as a pledge, as a promise as an absolute, actual, factual truth that we belong to him. fact of the matter is, today, many people say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, are you certain of it? absolutely I'm certain of it. Well, what do you base it on? Well, it's based upon how I grew up. It's based upon the fact that I went through a class when I was 12, 13 years old. It's based upon the fact that I was baptized at such and such a point. It's based upon the fact that I go to church on Easter and Christmas. You you should see what I gave to the church last year. Man, I've known a lot of good preachers in my life. Those things might all be true, but none of those things guarantee your salvation. In fact, I would remind us today that the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not of works so that none of us may boast. But God does tell us loud and clear in this passage of Scripture, we can have assurance of our salvation. How? We have it through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 1. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a promise. Uh, maybe the best way I can think to illustrate that is by the illustration of an engagement ring. Many of you men have been through that process of saving up for and purchasing and anxiously sweating out how in the world you were going to offer that engagement ring, but you remember that season, many of you men, in your life. I remember many years ago now, in fact, it's about 19 years ago now, I knew that Heather Richardson was the one that God had for me. I knew that I loved everything about that girl except for her last name and I had every intention of changing it, okay? That's just how it was. And, and I remember going to that, like, I was asking questions and trying to fill out the situation because I was trying to figure, like, what's her, her style? And, and Heather's a, she's ve- she likes very simple things, and, but, but I'm a little bit more like, let's go elaborate, go big or go home, you know, that kind of mentality. And so I, I was shopping for rings, and I remember the summer before uh, my last year of college, driving down to Dothan, Alabama, I have an uncle, a few uncles who own some jewelry stores, and so I went to look and get some ideas and beg them for a deal, you know, that kind of thing, and and so, so I, I mean, I was shopping this out, and I knew I wasn't going to propose yet, but I was kind of figuring out what I needed to save up for is what I was doing, all right? And I remember the time came close to, to when I was ready. I was about to have my money together, and, and I was looking basically between three rings that I liked, but I couldn't figure out which one to get. And so I did the wise thing I, every man should do. I called her best friend. Her name is Jessica. And I said, Jessica, I said, listen, you you probably know this already. I've been saving up. I'm ready to get the ring. And and I'm looking at these three styles. I'm gonna send you some pictures. And what do you think? She said, Matthew, I don't even need to look at the pictures. What? I don't need to look at the pictures. I'm telling you, get whichever one you think she liked the most. Well, I I don't know which one. That's why I'm asking you. She said, no, you, you know this. Heather's a simple girl. She's gonna like anything. And I was like, no, no, no. I need you to tell me what it is. She said, Matthew, Heather's gonna like it because it's coming from you. And when she gets that ring from you, she knows exactly what it means. And that's why she's going to like it. I'm like, well, you're no help at all. You know, you're sorry, friend. <laughs> <laughs> he, but you know what she was saying? She was saying, listen, when you give that ring to her, she's going to know, like, you're giving her your word. You're giving her your promise. You're saying, listen, I, I want to be with you and you with me till death do us part. She knows you and she knows that what, that's what that means. Of course, that illustration falls short in our culture today, frankly, because oftentimes in our culture, a ring today doesn't mean hardly anything, engagement or marriage for that matter. But God says, listen, I've given you something. I've given you a pledge. I've given you a promise. It's not a simple ring that you can put on your finger. No, I've given the Holy uh, Holy Spirit of God in your life to confirm that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit within us says, yes, you do belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us says, yes, you have been forgiven of your sins. Yes, you're unworthy, but because God's grace has been sufficient in your life, I've saved you and I've changed you. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that we belong to him. So here's the question. Do you know, without doubt, without hesitation, without, well, you know, Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that your sins are forgiven? Because if the Holy Spirit of God is in your heart and life, you know. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the proof of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, draws us to salvation, the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out, and the Holy Spirit confirms and assures us of our relationship. But from there, John makes a direct change of direction. Now, I hope this morning... When you hear those words of your sins being forgiven, heaven being your home, having relationship with God and knowing it, I hope you hear that with joy and with peace and amazement of God's grace. But God now speaks through John an incredible word of caution. Can I just kind of time out for a second? Like, this is like the disclaimer. Like, I feel like, a, I feel like a pharmacy commercial in some ways where, you know, they're like a pharmaceutical commercial. Like, hey, here's this. It's going to help in all these different ways. But by the way, here's all the different side effects you need to know about, right? What you're about to hear in this text is not popular today. What you're about to hear in this text is not politically correct, <gasps> Right? What you're about to hear in this text, I'm just telling you, if you, turn on, if you turn on any TV channel or radio today, I doubt this is gonna be the message from God's word you're hearing about. Because God says, listen, the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit works in our life to make us more like Jesus and assure us of our relationship. But you need to know something. There's only one Holy Spirit and there's a whole host of fake counterfeit demonic spirits. In Mark chapter five, Jesus one day approaches a man and the Bible says Jesus began to interact with him and the demons that were within him began to speak through the man's voice. And Jesus said, tell me, who are you? What is your name? And the demons speak back through the voice and say, we are legion for we are many. Please understand in that culture, the word legion would used to describe the thousands of soldiers that were under the rule of a military leader. It is a powerful picture of the demons of hell, who they get their charge from, and what their intent is. See, see God says, now, now, beloved, don't believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. For every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that it's coming and now it is already in the world. I want you to see this morning the proof of the Holy Spirit. The proof of the Holy Spirit. We live in a culture today that completely denies the existence of Satan and of the spirits that are under his rule. Today, we explain away almost everything in very logical and practical mental terms. And I'm not saying to you today that there's a demon behind every bush, but I am saying to you today that there are many things that happen in the world. There are many things that happen that influence people. There are many things that happen as people are under the control, frankly, of demonic forces. Ephesians chapter six says it this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is very real. As an angel in heaven, before he fell, he was known as Lucifer. And when in his pride, he hardened himself against God and he was kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels of heaven were dismissed with him. Today, those angels function as demons under his rule, under his leading. They do Satan's bidding, ultimately with the same exact purpose, to divide, to to steal, to kill, and even to destroy. The Bible tells us of demons that they can completely possess and control an unbeliever, but even of a believer, they can oppress and influence us. So we must recognize that Satan is a deceiver. Now, we, we think, oh, well, absolutely, Satan's real, you know, but then we get to this, like, cultural mentalities and we think, well, if, if something's not of God, but it's instead of Satan, then it's gonna have a red suit, a pointy tail, and a pitchfork, right? If it's of Satan, I'm gonna see this image on my shoulder, you know, these images going back and forth, like I've seen in the old classic cartoons. No, no, time, time out, time out. Satan's not that stupid. He is a master deceiver, Jesus told us the story that the sower went out to sow wheat, and what did the enemy do? He came right behind it, not to pluck out the wheat, but instead to sow tares, to mimic it, to deceive, to be close, to have an appearance, but not be the real deal. That's why John says, now listen, not every spirit is is the Holy Spirit. Not every message is of God. And so it begins to tell us how we can test what is of the Holy Spirit and what isn't. How do we know what is of the true Spirit of God versus that which is not? And he begins to tell us exactly what we need to know. In other words, what John was experiencing in that day was this. There were many false teachers who had begun to enter the church. They all had a message. None of them denied Jesus, oddly enough. They they couldn't deny Jesus. There was so much evidence of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. None of them denied Jesus, but here's what they did. By their message, here's what they conveyed. Jesus, oh yeah, he he lived, he died, he rose again, but Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough. Enough. It's amazing to me how how much we have gone in the world over these past 2,000 years. The fact of the matter is we still live in a world today. We still live in a church culture today that's believing the lie that Jesus isn't enough. Please understand this morning, false teachers always debate Jesus' deity, dismiss his sufficiency, and deny his authority. Paul dealt with this in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. He said this, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. They're not gonna be sparing the flock. And from your own cells, men will arise speaking perverse things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. Men speak a message so that they have their own followers. What's my social media people followers look like? How can I make this clever statement so that it'll be tweeted all over the place, Right? How can I gain my following instead of pointing people to Jesus? These false teachers came with new words, they had new visions, they had new revelations, they had new movements, they had new experiences, they proclaimed new manifestations that were needed. And the Bible says, listen, you need to understand, you need to examine, not every spirit is of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says it this way, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. Please pull it up on the screen. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. 2 Timothy 3 says it this way. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceased. Be, being, being deceived, not diseased, but maybe the same is true, I'm not sure. So pastor, what are you saying? How do we know then the truth between what is of God and what isn't? And I mean, every preacher in the world right now is on the internet. How do you know what's true and what isn't? How do you know what's of God and what's of Satan? Here's the bottom line question. Here's the test. You need to ask, here it is. Does this point me to Jesus or does it point me away from Jesus? Is this exalting Jesus or is it exalting man? Is it making much of the grace of God or is it making much of the works of man? Simple question. Does it point me to Jesus or point me away from him? If a message leads you to any other man, it is not of God. For it's truly of God, it will lead you directly to Jesus. And that's why, frankly, here at Crosslink, it doesn't matter if I'm preaching, Pastor Michael's preaching, Pastor Scott's preaching, any of our pastors preaching, Brother Richard Seavie's preaching, if a guest speakers here, please understand, the goal and the intent is always, 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 always to exalt Jesus Christ and point us directly to him. One day I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be moved on, but guess what's going to happen? God's work's going to continue because it's all about Jesus. There's a proof of the Holy Spirit, and that is that the Holy Spirit always praises Jesus Christ. Third thing, I want you to see the protection of the Holy Spirit. See, the previous point causes some, when they think about Satan and the demons of hell, It causes them fear. And frankly, and unfortunately, even in the evangelical church today, either by a lack of teaching, which has made it a big mystery, like the big subject we avoid, or by false teaching, it's also caused fear. Somebody leaves church and they begin to think, oh my goodness, there's a demon behind that bush. Is it going to get me? You know, what's it going to do next? And we're fearful about these things. We're fearful that we don't, about things we don't know that God has told us about in His Word. But did you know today, the Bible tells us loud and clear if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's an incredible word of promise. We don't have to have a spirit of fear, we, we don't have to be alarmed. We don't have to leave here today looking behind every bush or wondering when's the next attack coming up. We don't have to live that way. Now, now please understand. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm not being ugly or rude, but look, can I just can just shoot straight with you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you have every reason to fear. The only thing that will protect you from the very forces of hell are the one who conquered the forces of hell. The only one who can protect you, save you, set you free from those forces is the one who already died, But if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen to this statement in verse 4. This is so good. I could see see the, the, the believers there in the early church. They're looking and they're hearing these false messages. And they're seeing people be distracted. And they're seeing people turn away from Jesus. And they're wondering what's going on. What's the enemy doing? And John looks at them and he says, listen, you are from God, little children. And you have overcome them. please don't miss this. I mean, if you and I were watching a football game right now, if we're watching a sporting event right now and our team just won, we'd be like, woo, we won, we got the victory. God looks and says, listen, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've been forgiven of your sins. You've been adopted into the family of God by his grace for his glory and by his power. You have won the victory. They have no power over you. Oh, I'm just fighting my demons. They have no power over you. They can't control you. Might they try to attack? Sure. Might you face some turmoil? Sure. Might you face some hardship? Sure. But they cannot take away from you what God the Father has done in you. We have overcome them. What does he say? Listen, this is awesome. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God is living within me, not because I've earned it, not because I've deserved it, but by his grace and for his glory, the Holy Spirit is within me. And therefore, I don't have to fear. Therefore, I don't have to flee. Therefore, I don't have to cower back. No, I can walk in confidence and I can walk in assurance because greater is the Holy Spirit of God in me than any demon who's in the world. That's what he's saying. Well, how do we have this victory? First John chapter five, verse four. I'm so glad you asked. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our grandmama's prayer life. No. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Bible Belt America is where I grew up. No. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Ephesians chapter one, let me turn, I wasn't planning to share this, it's not on the screen. Ephesians chapter one says it this way, Jesus that we love and serve, hopefully he's your Lord and savior. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. How does Romans 8 say it? It says it this way. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Listen to what he says. And all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, hello, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're protected by the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And finally, I want you to see the priority of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The priority of being filled with the Spirit. Somebody say, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? What do you want us to do today with this message? I I want you to examine two things. The first step, I told you, already asked you to ask the question. Do you know that Jesus is your Savior, your sins have been forgiven, and that heaven is your home? If you don't know that with certainty, your very first step, and can I add, your most urgent step today needs to be to put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, here's the promise, you will be saved. And if today, if there is uncertainty, if there is not surety of that in your life, if the Holy Spirit is is not within you to confirm, yes, you belong to Jesus, today, that is exactly what you need to do. You need to call upon God and say, God, I have sinned against you. I believe in Jesus that he died and rose again. And today, I invite him to be the Lord of my life. And in that moment of faith and obedience, he will save you. Secondly, For all who already are saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You know how he convicted you of sin. You know when he came into your life and began to change you. You have that assurance because he's confirming in your heart and life. You're you're not perfect, but as you walk with him, you know you belong to Jesus. There's a command in Ephesians chapter five that you need to hear. I need to hear, and we need to apply it. And that is the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the voice in the Greek is to be being filled. It's an ongoing, continual process of being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five. Verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of teachings you can read about that today. But I believe God shows us consistently throughout his word. There's a direct connection and relationship between being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and being filled with the word of God. Colossians chapter three says it this way. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. Listen to the results. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Isn't it interesting that the same results of being filled with the Word of God are the exact same results of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God always works in conjunction and in connection to the Word of God. Maybe another way to say that is this. If it's of the Holy Spirit, it will always praise Jesus, the Son of God, and always point us to the Word of God and it will never contradict. No wonder then John ends with this statement in verse six. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us, but he who is not from God does not listen to us. John understood that the words he was giving were not his own, they were the words of God. And here's what he says. It is by this, Their response to the Word of God. By this, we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Let me ask you a question today Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Do you? If not, you can. By believing in Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord. Secondly, if you do, today, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you living your life daily, surrendered to the Lord, being filled with his word, so that your life is being lived for his glory and not your own? There's an incredible comfort and assurance when you know, without a doubt, you're not going through life alone. You're going through it step by step, day by day, with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I pray today that every single one of you know that joy, and that truth, and that assurance. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, for today. I thank you for the time we've had together to hear your word. I thank you for the sobering truth that there are demonic spirits at work in the world today working against the name and the cause of Christ, working against us to keep us blind from our sins, to keep us bound in those sins and to keep us from experiencing the deliverance that comes only through Jesus. But I also thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and convicts us of sin. I I, I don't enjoy the conviction and I I certainly don't enjoy the, the guilt or the shame. But I'm so grateful that you bring it because as you bring that conviction, you also bring that conviction not only of sin, but the conviction of righteousness to know that I can be forgiven and I can be made righteous through the only one who is righteous. That is Jesus. who, Though he was sinless, he died in our place. And so, God, I thank you that you send the Holy Spirit to draw us to that relationship with you. And I thank you, God, that once we confess Christ to be the Lord of our life, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop. He, he continues to work on us and to work in us. Like, like the old song said, you're still working on us to make us what you want us to be. And I thank you for how you do that. And God, God, I praise you that as you change us, you give us that sweet assurance of knowing that we've been saved knowing we're not alone, you're with us. Knowing that no matter what happens to me here in this broken fallen world, I'm going to be okay because the world can't take away from me what you've done for me. I thank you for that assurance of knowing that when I breathe my last breath my next step's going to be in heaven with you. Thank you for that. I thank you Father that you've not left us without guidance and instruction. There are so many voices in the culture and in the world today. Really even a ton of voices within the so-called church. But God, you tell us loud and clear how to identify what is of you. You always direct us to your son and to your word. So God, where we have believed messages and movements that said that Jesus wasn't enough. We had to have other some other list of rules or some other additional experiences in order to really really know. God, I pray that you would cut through all those voices. Help us to discern the truth. Surrender ourselves to it and to walk forward in obedience where we've accepted truths, where we've accepted lies as truths. I pray, God, today that we would repent of those, that everything we hear and everything that we process and everything we think, we would take back to Scripture. What does the word of God say? That your word, not our will, will be our guide. I pray in Jesus' name.